This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I'm putting this episode out tonight because the UFC 280 weigh-ins are just a few hours away. And as you guys know, anything can happen on tonight's show. I'm going to go through some of the biggest fights on the card in order, giving you the analysis and official predictions that you can't get anywhere else. With all of that said, let's start with the can't-miss fight of the prelims. Lahal Mohammed, guys, what do you want to do? I mean, what do you want to do here? I feel as though the only reason Lahal Mohammed gets credit is because he makes sure to go get it for himself. I really do feel that. Now, he's done a great job. Here, let me just talk to you. In the last 18 months, I made this statement six months ago and I said 12 months. I'm going to make the same statement, but I'm just going to add those six months. In the last 18 months, there has been no fighter get a bounce go from where they were to where they are more than Blahal Muhammad, and the only person you could tie with him is Sean Strickland. Those guys went from unknowns to main eventers. Blahal Muhammad stopped Leon Edwards' win streak. Blahal Muhammad has been in three main events. He hadn't lost any of them. You don't go from main event to undercard. Well, you can, if it was free TV versus pay-per-view on the most loaded card of the year. I mean, it, it, it's very shocking of where Blahal is at. There's another way to look at it. Sure, there's a show going on and the whole world's going to watch and he's the main event of that show. We, we can have this word play if we want. I'm just sharing for you that Blahal Mohammed should not go from three main events of which he never lost to off the main card. Just shouldn't happen. Now, let me tell you a little bit about his opponent, Sean Brady. Sean Brady's never lost. Sean Brady was 15-0 the last time I looked. He might have had another fight since then. Don't think you have to correct me. He might be 16-0. 16-0? What are you talking? That is an incredible record. Sean Brady's beating people up. He's doing his thing over the UFC. I'm the foggiest idea who he is. I mean, just don't read. There's a lot of fights. I got 556 guys under contract. I do my absolute best job. But every now and then a stud slips through the cracks. I didn't know Rachmanov until his third fight. I mean, it just happens his way. When I see Sean Brady, it's not even in the UFC. Sean Brady walks onto a grappling mat to get humiliated by Craig Jones. He's going to get humiliated. Like, hopefully he got a few grand, and hopefully he was learning from the process of weighing in, being in the back, warming up, walking in front of the crowd so that he could take that over to his MMA career. He's going to get humiliated. And if you don't tap at the right time with Craig Jones, you're going to the emergency room. Sean Brady beat him. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe I grabbed my phone and I text Joe Rogan, Sean Brady just beat Craig Jones with like five exclamation points. And Joe was thinking of me at the same time and was texting that back to me. Like I hit said and I got his response. It was that shocking. We couldn't believe this. Then it turns out Sean Brady's in the UFC. Oh, then it turns out he's 15 and 0 in the UFC. Oh my, 
what is going on here? Why can this guy not get his attention? So he finally takes his shot. He stayed quiet long enough. He finally takes his shot. He goes after Muhammad. He gets the fight and here they are. Before we get to that, because this could have massive implications. Right? I mean, sometimes guys can get a real bounce. They can go into title fights. They can go into contention. They can go into the front of your minds. Sometimes it's the other way, where one guy, if he wins, not a whole lot happens, but if he loses some bitch, he's going to sink. Just is. It's a cutthroat business. And sometimes those guys that build themselves, people are just waiting to pull them down. And I feel like a lot of that is on Blahal's shoulders. I don't know very many guys that would be in the argument and the discussion to be fighting for a world championship, did three main events, which are five rounds apiece, you know the training that goes into that, let alone the actual fight night, that would then be willing to take on a guy who's completely undefeated, but the audience just doesn't know who he is. That's the battle Sean's at right now. Sean's got his record out there. He's got his skills intact. He's trying to get you guys to recognize and know who he is. That's a very normal part of the process. I'm just sharing with you, there's not very many guys like Blahal that would then go jump on that grenade, and I think he deserves credit. When you have guys that are out there and they're asking for things, there's a litmus test. Even though it's never spoken of, there is a litmus test with us, the audience, which is, if he wants something big and beautiful and shiny, is he willing to do something that is in the exact opposite? If we're going to root for the organization to give him what he wants, is he willing to do for the organization what they want? That's the litmus test. It's very simple. The answer with Bahal Muhammad is yes. He deserves credit for that. He deserves recognized for that. I really want to make sure that that part of the story is told. When you are a multi-time main eventer, when you believe I'm going into a world championship fight, which I think might have uh, exactly been the case with uh, Vincenzo Luque. I think if Luque would have beaten Blahal, he might be going right in there for that belt. He would definitely be in the discussion. Blahal gets the jump on Luque, which was a reversal of their first contest that many people didn't even know about. I don't feel he got credit. And there's people on the second floor that are going to argue with me and go, Chael, that's because you don't understand the numbers. You don't understand the position that we put. I, I, I get it. I get it. Please, please. I do get it. I'm just sharing for you, that is a massive fight. Of everything that's going to go down on this card, guys, go take a closer look at this card. And you're going to have to do a level of research. If you do what I do and you go to the dirt sheets, it talks about the feature matches. You got your headlines, you got your top storylines. Do yourself a favor and just bring up the entire card. This is the nastiest, most loaded card in a period of time, I was told yesterday that Uzbemir is on the card. I haven't done the research to confirm that. I'm just sharing with you. What do you tell on this card in an under, would be an undercard against an opponent that I don't know in a fight that I don't know about. I want to see that. And if you go look at the card, you're going to see two and three and four other names that are just like that. And I'll give you an idea of what I would like to happen to the winner of Blahal and Brady. Okay. I mean, you're, you're out of the frying pan and into, your, into the fire, but the winner there should, should take on Rachmanov. Now, when they take on Rachmanov, that can't just be a fight that slips through the cracks that us hardcores know about and Chael comes and screams about to his two listeners with the window sheen. There's got to be something on that. 
Rachmanov is undefeated. Never been beat. Brady is undefeated, never been beat. There's not another match that you could match up anywhere on the card. Forget about championships and top contenders fights. That is a nasty, nasty battle, and something needs to be on it. But the same needs to go for Bahal. We can't keep letting Blahal go out there and doing a great job and bringing attention and making things entertaining and doing the hard work and getting the great results without giving him something. We just can't do that, right? And I know these guys get a little bit of prestige and they get a little bit of money, but we still have an obligation too. We don't get a we don't only take. There's times that we have to give back. And we've had this talk before here, guys. Gilbert Burns, we, the audience and the community, owe Gilbert something. And I really do believe that Blahal Muhammad and Sean Brady fall into that same category. Now, we can put our heads together. We can go to the comment sections. Let's get a little back and forth. Let's figure out what that is. Maybe it's not a number one contenders match, but I like the idea of Rachmanov a lot. I like the idea of shining him up. Then you're going to need somebody with, with a level of courage, right? You can't say, I want to fight for a world championship. I won't fight that guy. And many people would like to do that. Blahal's not one of them, but he's got to be recognized for that. It doesn't matter what the deed is if you don't get recognition. So many people, your parents and your teachers, the people will tell you, uh, do things because it's the right thing to do. Don't do things for credit. That, that is true in some walks of life. In business, you must get the credit. You must. If you show up an hour before everybody else and you're cleaning that office and straightening and getting the heat on and making the coffee ready for everybody, if nobody knows that you did it, what, what? it doesn't count. You have to get credit. And that can sound brash and hard sometimes. But whoever goes and fights Rachmanov at next is going to have some big balls. I know some tough SOBs that have said no to Rachmanov, and so do you. So if you're willing to do out and do that heavy lifting, we, the community, we must recognize it, and we must make sure that they get the recognition they deserve. Gamrot versus Darush. Guys, I don't want you to miss this one because there's so much on the line. I mean, this is Benny's entire career. It all comes down to this fight. If Benny gets beat here, that is going to be the stumbling block that he's not going to recover from. He's 33 years old. He's on a beautiful streak. I want to say it's seven in a row. Benny's ranked number one. Are you aware of that? Benny is ranked officially ahead of Islam. Islam's fighting on the same card. The same night in the main event. I mean, this isn't a this isn't a riddle. I'm not trying to throw you. Are you aware of that? The higher ranked guy is on the same car. This is a matter of we couldn't sign the contract. He didn't feel well the day that we cut. None of those things. He's there. He's just not in the main event. He's not fighting for the belt. It's extremely relevant because I feel as though you guys are catching on how good Gamrod is. Gamrod is awesome. And you know that I'm a wrestling mark. This is a wrestler. This was a top guy from his country. I understand those things. But Gamrot has proven himself in MMA. Gamrot, quietly, very quietly, has become the favorite. Are you aware of that? More money has come in on Gamrot. People think that Gamrot is the one to stop Darush. Now, Darush is the top-ranked guy. People have been saying that Darush should fight for a championship. We had Darush signed with Islam Joe Rogan told Dana not to make the fight. Dana told the media that Joe told him that, and we never got closure as to where that statement came from. I'm sharing with you, then at the end of the night, we plan on walking Volkanovsky in, and we're told that it makes sense that he fight for the championship next.
I can't disagree with any of it, right? Like, I mean, two things can be true at the same time. If Benny beats Gamrock, should Benny be a number one contender that qualifies to fight for a world championship? Yes. If Volkanovski, who's undefeated, moves up into the division and would like a title shot, while simultaneously being the number one ranked pound-for-pound fighter in the world, completely undefeated, and the 45-pound champ, should he qualify for a world title fight? Yes. Yes. Now, a smart mark that followed this closely in Benny would have been full force. He never would have mentioned Gamrot's name. Ever, never. Every media opportunity he had would have been direct venom at Volkanovski. But that's just not what we're dealing with here, right? If we're going to get Benny a title shot, guys, we're going to have to get him the title shot. He, he does, he's not going to understand this other side of it, and he's not going to go out and do it. And that's okay. I'm just I'm setting the table for you. I want you to enjoy the show. But it's a massive fight. And as much as you think that you're tuning in for the punches and the kicks, you're not. As much as you think the commentators don't matter, you don't even want to watch it if it's on mute, right? I mean, I just share that with you because you, the audience, doesn't even know what you want. Truly. You want conflict and you want resolution, and then you want the next two guys with a conflict who are going to resolve it to come out. But what's on the line matters. And for Benny, it's everything. Everything's up for grabs. At 33 years old, if he stumbled, right, he's already number one, but he couldn't get the shot. He already has the wins. He already has the resume. He already has the ranking, and he didn't get the shot. On the same night as a guy lesser than him did. So if you then slip a loss in there, even if it's to a perennial badass, which Gamrod is, for sure, it will stumble him so far he's not going to recover. Now, I get that I'm being redundant. I've said the same thing three times. Now, I just want you to understand it. It's a really big deal. But I don't know if Benny knows that. Benny doesn't talk like he knows that. He doesn't appear with an urgency that he knows that. And I don't think it's paramount that he does understand it. Why would he put more pressure on himself? Why would he stack the deck against him? Self. I'm not sharing for you that Benny's looking at this wrong. Not in the least. I'm not questioning Benny. I think that Benny's in a very good position, but Benny's really going to have to go out and he's going to have to perform. After he performs, he's still not guaranteed it. Not when you got Volkanovsky sitting in the front row and supposedly there to confront the winner for a future matchup. I mean, now you're working double time. Do you guys remember the night that Gaethje fought Chandler? And it wasn't just the night. It was the week leading up to it. Gaethje was going to fight Chandler. The winner was going to go on and fight Charles. The winner was going to fight for a championship. And then a narrative came in that was co-signed by one of the biggest voices in the room, Daniel Cormier, that that should not be a number one contender's fight. I'm talking about Gaethje versus Chandler that Islam should be the number one contender and that Gaethje and Chandler are just going to go fight. There was nothing on it. And Gaethje put his foot down. And not only physically did he have to deal with Chandler, psychologically, he had to fight Islam at the same time. It was awesome. Gaethje got two wins that week in New York. He got fight of the night, which I think went on to become fight of the year. He not only won that, he also won the mandate of the masses, Beat out Islam and got himself a title opportunity. It's a big deal. 
But Gaethje was aware that was happening, and he started throwing punches and kicks in different directions. He made sure he took on all comers. That isn't the situation with Benny. I don't believe that Benny has successfully positioned himself into a number one contenders match. So I tell you, everything's on the line. Benny's whole career is on the line. That is true on an upside, but possibly not on a down. Benny will not be in a main event. He will not be in a title fight. He will not headline a pay-per-view if he loses to Gamrot. If he beats Gamrot, I still can't guarantee any of those things will happen because Benny's not, Benny's got to get himself there. I believe that Benny has won his last seven fights. I know he's won six. I believe he's won seven. So if he goes out and win this, it'll be eight. But these are highly ranked guys. And he's the highest ranked guy who's going to go sit in the audience with a nacho and a soft drink and watch Volkanovsky take the shine before they fade to black and roll the credits. I mean, this is what he's taking on. Before you think it's insurmountable, that's why I offered you the Gaethje scenario. Gaethje had to do that exact same thing. It can be done. Gaethje did it. Gaethje won. Gaethje not only got his hand raised against Chandler, got the bonus of it, got recognized at the World MMA Awards later for that contest. He also got taken out to a tea time by Daniel Cormier as Daniel's way of apologizing for ever saying that Islam should have stepped in front of her. I mean, Gaethje's handled this. It can be done. But Gaethje knew that he was in a fight and he started fighting. And I don't know if Benny fully knows what's on the line. Now, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay. Be a great matchup. There's something to look forward to. And that same thing goes for Gamrot. Gamrot's coming in with big expectations, and it can get derailed, and it can get derailed very quickly, particularly at that division, particularly in that division at a time that a star from a different division appears that he's coming to play. Darouche versus Gamrot, guys. This, this is the fight. This is the fight. I mean, this is the one that I'm looking at. This is the one where I know if I had to put my reputation, right, I'm trying to talk a friend, I want this friend to become a fight fan. But I only get to show him one fight. I get to show him one fight, and it's got to be good enough that they stay with me and they, they want to follow this sport moving forward. Of this car, this is the one that I'm putting them in front of. This is the guarantee. Which way is it going to go? It's a tough fight. It's a hard night. Benny has an ability to wear guys down. Benny has an ability to get guys tired, but you don't know Gamrot's history, and I do, and I don't say that to condescend. I'm a wrestling fan. Gamrot's been up against it before. He knows how to close out an evening. This is going to be tit for tat from bell to bell. Sugar Sean versus Peter Young. Guys, who do you got? And I'll tell you, I'm taking, I'm taking Sugar Sean, but I'm taking some leaps of faith here. I'm taking some real leaps of faith in taking Sean in this one regard. Okay, I, and I'm going to know in the first minute if my prediction has a shot of being true. Now, they're going to need to go out there for all 15 for me to prove it true, but I will also be able to discount it and tear my ticket up within 60 seconds if Sean does not go out and start a fight. It's as simple as that. Sean has to win the first round. Not maybe, not not kind of. In Sean's last fight, there appeared to be a feeling out process, and there appeared to be a round that Sean was losing, it was slipping away, and there was not an urgency to go out and get it back. Then Sean at the post-fight press conference said that he didn't need to, he can't believe the judges had the other guy, and that he was winning. If that was marketing, and that's why he said it, cool in the gang, let's get up and go home. But if he meant it and was being sincere, we have a problem. 
If Sean thought while standing in front of his opponent and missing, couldn't find the right, he just simply couldn't find him. The guy was staying back. Guy didn't come in to wrestle. Guy didn't step in. But if Sean didn't know that, if Sean doesn't know this is a game of I touch you and you don't touch me, you touch me, I touch you more times than you touch me. If he doesn't understand that concept extremely clearly, Houston, we have a problem. Sean will also have an advantage, particularly early on with Jan, that Sean has a longer reach and knows how to use it. And I got to word it that way. I am so tired of hearing the word reach advantage. Since when? With who? With who is it an advantage? Mike Tyson did not have a longer arm than a single opponent he ever fought. I mean, I'm just offering it for an example. Now, if you've got a longer reach and you know how to use it, you've got a real tool there. And I feel that Sean does. Jan, in his first round with Sandhagen. Now, Sandhagen is a terrific fighter. But it appeared it was the reach that was the problem. Jan just couldn't get inside. He was having to take two on the forehead every time he got inside, but rounds two plus, he'd figure that out. So I'm taking the first round of Sean's last fight. I'm taking the first round of Peter Jan's fight. That's what I'm using as my deduction, my historical deduction to get me to the conclusion that Sean O'Malley had better win the first round. Oh, and by the way, he should be able to. If he truly understands the sport, which is I touch you and you don't touch me, if he truly understands that and he goes out and he puts that pressure on Yawn, it can be very problematic for Yawn. And I don't think that Yawn would dispute that. If we had a real private conversation with Yawn right now, I think that Yawn would say something like that. Hey, listen, you know, the first couple of minutes of fights, I'm kind of finding guys. I'm trying to find my way. Guys are about my height, about my length. I got, I got some good power I can put on those longer guys. You know, it takes me a little bit. I got to take a couple shots. I think that Jan would concede this back. So I'm just bringing it to you. Sugar Sean, I believe, has the skills to win all three rounds. Now, that's going to really come as a surprise. I can't go as far as to say shock the world, but it's going to come as a surprise. If he could dominate, because he's going to have to do multiple things. Sugar Sean isn't just going to have to go out and out kickbox Yawn. He's going to have to anti-wrestle Yawn. Yawn can get you to the ground, and Yawn can do good work when he gets there. And if your only perception of Yawn and his ability to wrestle, to anti-wrestle, as well as to grapple once he gets to the ground, is his last fight with Sterling, you, 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 you've got a false interpretation. You really do. You really do. It was as though the wrestling switch got turned off on Peter Yawn in that last fight. I've never seen him like that. I don't want to discredit, although I don't want to discredit Yawn either. I just want to dismiss it. I will go back to other moments where Yawn was able to deal with the wrestling of Uriah Faber, by example, where Yawn was able to outgrapple, heavily outgrapple Jose Aldo, who's nearly impossible to get to the ground. So if Sugar Sean's going to win this fight, he's going to have to win it in the stand-up. It's not outside the realm of possibility that Sugar Sean goes out and takes down Yon, particularly after what he saw Aljo do. Now, that would change the fight. That's not what we're expecting. I'm pretty comfortable in predicting for you guys that largely we're going to have a stand-up battle. At one point, that's not going to go one of the two guys' ways, whoever it is. Whoever's on the short end of that stick is going to look to grapple. We then have to ask ourselves the question of, can they be successful? I think they both have really good defense. 
I also think that both guys are fully aware and would completely agree with everything that I just said, which means in training camp they prepared for this. And to be a guy with a lifetime of wrestling, if you know how to get an underhook and get to your opposite hip, you can get up off the bottom. This isn't rocket science. It's a stand-up in a steel cage, right? But there's some guys who go their whole career. They don't even foggiest idea what I just said, underhook in an opposite hip. What does that guy mean? I just don't know that I buy that that's Sugar Sean or that that's Yawn. And there's not a lot of time. I've really got to put an emphasis on this. This is a very light night of work compared to what Yawn is used to. When you get into the five-round club and you stay there for three years, which Yawn did, 15 minutes, right? That's where all your fear comes from. If you guys were to go into a fight, I'm sure that you would think about, oh my gosh, this is going to hurt when the guy knocks my teeth out. What if he breaks my nose? Oh, what if he hits me in my body and I can't breathe? Like, I think that you'll be thinking of that. I'll just share with you, guys of this level don't. They only think about one thing, which is, can I hold up if the end of the night comes? This is a 15-minute fight, and we get to minute 13 and a half. Can I still be here? Can I be present? Can I follow the golden rule, which is to protect myself at that time? And that's where the fear comes. That's where you start to get scared. I'll just share with you, Yawn isn't going to have that. Now, in addition to that, Yawn has used those championship rounds historically. He even did it in his last fight with Aljo. And there was a little bit of cooperation there by the champ in Sterling. But either way, Yawn was still coming on, and Yawn was winning those rounds. Ask Jose Aldo how the end of the fight felt with Yawn. He's getting stronger. He's getting better. So Yawn's got a game to play here, too. At the same time, well, maybe he's not going to deal with the fatigue and the exhaustion and the mental oomph that that takes. He still doesn't have minute 16 through 25. He's got to get it done. He's got to get it done early, which is why I bring such an emphasis on this first round. It's why I bring an emphasis on the very first minute of the very first round, and it's why I do have to criticize if Sean was being sincere. Sean truly felt that the judges who gave the first round of his last fight to his opponent were wrong. If he really believes that, we have a problem. But I don't think he believes that. I think he's far too smart. And even if he believed it in that moment, then he goes back and watches that, he realizes, I got to touch him more than he touches me. And if he's out of range, if he's too far, then I got to take a step in. I got to feint him better. I got to back him into a corner. I have to find this guy. If I'm not going to take him down, I must reach out and touch him. It'd be a big upset. Dana White made a comparison. He said this is like Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo. I believe that that comparison is based on this is a time that you prove it. It's put up or shut up. All of the talk, this is the time. And I believe in large part, my interpretation of what Dana said, making the comparison to Jose versus Connor, I think is a big compliment to Yawn. I think Dana is saying, this is the guy with all the skills. You said you could beat anybody. Here's anybody. You said you belong at the top. Here's the former champion who's sitting at the top. I think that's what he meant. And I do see it that same way. This is an important fight for both guys. This is a hard fight for both guys. I don't know that this is going to be a close fight. Sean is either going to keep him at the end of his punches or he's not. I'm taking Sugar Sean, but I'll let you know right now. If Sean does not win the first 60 seconds of the fight, he's not going to win the rest of the fight. My 
My official prediction for Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhlchev is in just a moment. Because, guys, here's what I did. I took a poll on YouTube. And, I mean, those do crazy numbers. And that's my way of thanking you, by the way. But you guys responded. I mean, we'll have 100,000 people weigh in in an hour. That is a massive focus group. Massive. From a very direct market. Who do you think you, the community, took in that fight? Took Charles Oliveira. Do you think it was close? Do you think this was a 52-48 type scenario? No, it was a blowout. 70-some percent are taking Charles Oliveira over Islam. Now, I find that interesting because the odds makers had this at a 3-1. to one. At one point, it extended to 3.5-1. to one. I, on a personal note, didn't want to see this fight. And then I saw Charles versus Gage. I go, oh my goodness, this guy's even better than I thought he was. And now all of a sudden I'm interested. But you guys are saying over 70%. And sure, it was just Chael's YouTube. I get it. But that three to one that moved to three and a half to one is damn near even money. It's negative 140 to plus 170. I have never seen a fight where a community... Right, from the people that are putting their money on this, betters, handicappers, willing to risk tens of millions of dollars versus you, the fans. I've never seen where you guys are so split. They interviewed seven guys from the locker room, seven athletes within the 155-pound division, guys that have the right to an opinion, who've earned their right who think about this every single day when they go to the gym, strategizing on when I'm standing across from, what am I going to do? Six of those seven took Charles. There is no better group you can ask. I can brag about you guys in my YouTube community. I am very proud of it. I'm proud of the numbers that we have. But if you can have six boys from the locker room simultaneously signed at the same division, that's who you want to listen to. It's the animal kingdom. I can put a hundred tough guys in a room together. They don't ever have to touch. They don't even have to talk. One hour later, they will be able to tell you who their leader is. Took seven guys from the locker room. Six of them picked Charles in a fight that I personally didn't want to see because I knew how it was going to go. It's going to be a 25-minute ragdolling favoring Islam. How could I be so wrong? How could I be so upside down? I'm not saying Islam's going to win. I'm saying Islam's going to dominate him. Islam is going to ragdoll him. I'm even using as supporting evidence the reason that the jujitsu community, which is pretty damn organized and fairly large, I mean, much bigger than the wrestling community, much bigger than the kickboxing community that doesn't even know Pierre and Adesanya are going to fight and represent them, much bigger than the karate and the uh, Aikido and the Kung Fu community, the jiu-jitsu community. The jiu-jitsu community is yet to step forward and put it on the line that this is jiu-jitsu versus Sambo. They're not doing it because they're not sure they're going to win. Believe me, on Monday morning, if they do win, they will come out in droves and they'll be trying to sign people up and doing flyers and putting out special promotions for the gym. Believe it, but they're not risking it ahead of time which is a massive indicator for me that they don't believe in their guy. Which would lead me to believe that the 3-1 to is going to go to 3.5-1, to one, and the poll that I'm going to do is going to be 80-20 in favor of Islam. That's not what happened. 
it's really, really quite compelling. I mean, right, they set that octagon up in 1993. And there is only one thing that held true then and holds true today. There is only one thing that through the test of times is still an absolute, which is if you get on top of a guy and you stay there, you win. It is the only thing. Every technique is out the door. The rules are out the door. The wrapping of the hands, the weight classes, the gov, the, the rounds, the system, everything has changed. One absolute remains to this day. If you take a guy down against his will and you keep him there, you're going to win the fight. Which is what Islam does. That's the only reason I'm bringing that to you. Now, it's very tough. Looking at a lot of these fights, is it's very, very tough. But the fighters see it. See, the argument that I'm about to make is to condescend you a little bit that you don't know what you're watching. If you've seen 10 submissions, guys, if you've seen 10 submissions in MMA, there's a very strong chance that you've seen none. And it's an absolute guarantee that you haven't seen more than one. Out of every 10 submissions that you see, every single, 10 times you see somebody tap, only one guy was actually somewhere he didn't want to be. The rest of them, it's how they got to a curtain call. They were done. They were ready to go. This is what they needed to show. Exit stage left. I had enough tonight. But it's very true with the knockouts as well. I mean, if you watch Mike Tyson knock out nine men, I apologize, ten men, you probably saw nine actors and you probably saw one knockout. Very common in boxing. Do you ever see Tyson versus, versus Bruce Selden? you ever see Tyson versus Frank Bruno? I actually shouldn't compare the two. Bruce Selden did the dive of dives. I mean, Bruno's was bad, but I really shouldn't compare it to Selden. But that's very common. He was just a worst actor. He he just didn't pull it off very well. And nobody's at fault. You've had enough for whatever reason. And generally, it isn't because of what's already happened. It's because of a fear of what's to come. And a guy finds a way out. And I only bring that to you because I'm just wondering how Charles is going to win. We're told how great Islam is on his feet standing up. We haven't seen it, so we rightly favor Charles. I get that, and I don't begrudge it at all. Charles is something special. You watch that hook he landed on Chandler. I mean, there are so many thousands of repetitions of that that have to be done in the gym to be able to find that mark and generate that kind of power, not to mention at that point of the fight where your energy and your battery is already drained. It's amazing. Charles is awesome. I, I don't dispute that. I'm just sharing you. Charles, who's been forced to show us this striking and pass the test, looked very good. But he was forced to do that. Versus Islam, who's never shown it to us because he's never been forced. He takes the fight into a different dimension, which is on the ground. So it's a little bit make-believe that Islam doesn't have those skills. Now, can Islam go tackle him? Can he go get Charles down? Because I'll tell you another thing about Charles, okay? As I tell you, I watched the Gaethje fight, and that's when I realized, oh my God, this guy's even better than I thought it was. While I tell you that, I've had those moments before. Charles versus Tony Ferguson. Four takedown attempts by Charles. Tony never got up from any of the takedowns. Four attempts, three successful. Tony never got up. I didn't know that about Charles. I didn't know he was that good of a wrestler. It's the same takedown every time. It was the double leg. Back him, get him into the fence, fire double, pick him up off the ground, let gravity do the rest. But it was beautiful, and I didn't know Charles had it. Just how good is Charles' wrestling? 
Is Charles going to be able to take Islam down? That would be a surprise, but what if it happened? What if it happened one time? Right? Charles only has to get three rounds right. He doesn't have to knock him out. He doesn't have to submit him. He doesn't even have to beat him for 25 minutes. He's got to get three rounds better than he has done to him. Charles gets one takedown. You could take one of those rounds right off the board. Now he just needs two. And he's got four rounds to go find those two, right? I mean, I get where you can make the case for it. When I hear people talking about Charles is going to win, I continually hear Charles is going to knock him out if they're on the feet. Charles is going to submit him if they're on the ground. I mean, I do hear that. Everybody I hear talking about this fight, which includes the comment section right here, has it a finish for Charles, but they're not parting with their money on that. Is that a clue? Is it a relevance? Because what I'm attempting to do is I'm attempting, while I dissect this, to find the sincerity when I ask you who's going to win between Charles and Islam, and 70-some percent of you tell me Charles, I then have to wonder, are you picking and predicting Charles to win, or did you just change my question and this is who you hope wins? Charles Oliveira's popularity is stunning to me. I mean, one year ago, this was a problem to have on top of your bill. Then your problem goes and makes a huge blunder so bad they take his belt away. This is largely irredeemable, particularly when he can't come to you and plead his case because he doesn't speak your language. It's a really bad spot. Charles comes out. He says, the lightweight division has a champion. His name is Charles Oliveira. Now, if you would have frozen that right there, and let me see into the future. I'd have put it on a t-shirt that night and I'd have sold them out to you guys. I'd have put them on bumper stickers and so would have anybody else that thought of it. I never knew that was a catchy line. In fact, I thought it was a little bit weird. I thought it was a little bit weird, kind of like George Mosvidal trying to convince you all you're a surfer, telling you to bring a towel and a picture of him where he's got no towel. You should bring your towel, but I didn't bring my towel. It, the whole thing, it was just weird. Because the lightweight division doesn't have a champion. In fact, that's what this is about. We took his championship. There was no champion. His name does not exist. It's not Charles Oliver. It's one of those things. Guys, you loved it. You guys write it in all the time. I'll do a Charles Oliver piece. I'll go into the comment section. It'll simply say the lightweight division has a champion. His name is Charles Oliver. Like, I, you guys love him. It caught on. But I still have to wonder. So are you telling me you think that he'll win? Or are you telling me that you hope that he will win? And it gets to be a bit of a tricky question. Like, if you were to ask me who's a better fighter, I would not need 10 minutes to rant to you. I would simply answer you. Two words, Charles Oliveira. Who do you think is going to win? Islam Makhlchev. The guy that's not as good wins all the time. Being well-rounded and knowing 20 different things, I mean, like, this is a myth. This isn't real. The specialist still has the advantage as long as he can get you in that special area. As long as where he specializes, you also have a deficit. It doesn't matter if you've got 20 different black belts and he's got none. So if you guys are saying that you think Charles is going to win, and I'm not, I'm going I'm to officially pick Islam. But I'm very open to the idea and I'm happy to be wrong and I would love to learn something about the sport. But if you don't believe that Charles is going to finish Islam, you don't believe that, then how is it that you believe he's going to win? You believe that he's going to have the position. You believe he's going to keep the feet sta uh, fight standing up. You believe that Islam can't just come across the ring and take him down. Like, all of those things would be of interest. And I don't begrudge any of them, right? I mean, this is between those two boys. We'll go and see what happens. I brought up the example 
of you seeing 10 knockouts and nine of them you didn't really see. I brought up the example of you seeing 10 submissions and nine of them you didn't really see. I brought that up because while that is commonplace within our sport, it only happens when the guy falls apart mentally. It is not a physical thing that gets you caught in an armbar. You, you get your arm extended when you give the guy the arm and you want him to extend it. Now, that happens from a mental lapse. Mental lapses come from a lack of confidence, and a lack of confidence is only tied to one thing, which is a lack of conditioning. If you ever are confident in a fight, if you ever leave that locker room and you know tonight's my night, that means you believe in your conditioning. Nothing else. Not I've got the power. Not I got the size. Nothing. Nothing will give you confidence in combat except for one thing, which is conditioning. And I've never seen anything within Islam that tells me he's going to quit. I mean, I could really stereotype and back that up even finer to the boys from Dagestan. I haven't seen any of them quit in a fight. So if Islam doesn't quit and knockouts and submissions aren't real, how's Charles going to win the fight? I'm open to your suggestion. I'd just like a little bit more clarity. You've made it very clear. You've told me you think Charles is going to win. I'd just like to ask you the next step. How do you think he's going to win? We'll come back on Monday. I'll read your answers. All right, guys, help me out here because I got a little bit lost. Now, Islam went to a press conference and he was doing it with Charles. Charles made a statement to Islam. Now, he made the statement of Portuguese very relevant because when it got interpreted into English, we're told that Charles said, to Islam, you're a great champion, which would not be true in terms of Islam being the champion. This was made a big deal of. I'm not confident in telling you that the interpreter got it right. I mean, I hear him get it wrong all the time, but that would be a weird thing to say. But Islam, in return, talked about Charles and said, I view Charles as the champion. I'm the challenger and he's the champion. That, that's fine. Whatever these greats do, and these two are great, whatever the greats do and whatever mindset they have to get into, including fiction, I'm very open to it and I'm also open to hearing it. It's interesting to me. But why? Why would Islam consider Charles the champion? What, what does that mean? Is that a way of showing respect? Because many of you do that too. Many of you fans do that. Daniel Cormier behind the desk working for the UFC said that we all know that Charles is the champion. So I'm just sharing. I mean, that's a very that's very common. It's not true. That is an inaccurate statement. But if you did consider Charles the champion, how does that help you? If you're creating a fictional framework to begin with, how does that serve you? Do you fight harder? If you're fighting the champion, because if you do, then adversely, that would just, I wouldn't even need to ask. That would mean the other side of the coin is if you're the champion and you're defending, you're not going to fight as hard. So what is it that changes? Why create a mythical world? And I'm a big believer in always put yourself in a situation where you know you can succeed. Right, if Islam's got to go to bed at night, he's got to convince himself, I can beat Charles Oliveira. That might be hard for him to believe. Just by example, just use Islam and Charles. That might be hard for him to believe. Well, then back it up and put yourself in a different situation. Don't put yourself in the octagon on Fight Island on a pay-per-view for the world title with millions of dollars on the line. Don't do that if that's too much for you. Back it up. Are you the toughest guy in your block? If Charles comes to Islam's neighborhood, is all of a sudden Charles is in charge. They're playing basketball. Charles takes the ball. I mean, is that the way that it works? 
Maybe. Maybe you live on a tough block. Back it up a little bit further. Are you the toughest guy in your house? If Charles comes, as all of a sudden he's taking the remote control. Is that how this works? Maybe you got a tough house. You got to back it up to your bedroom. Are you the baddest dude in that room? Are you sure? If you're sure you are, then that means if Charles comes to your bedroom, you're still the man. And if that's true, then you'll be the toughest guy in the house. What's the difference? Which means you'll be the toughest guy in the block. What's the difference? Which means you can go beat him in the octagon on Saturday night. I'm a firm believer of that. That doesn't necessarily make it so. It's just a mindset. But I'm very curious as to why we're doing that. I'm asking you guys, because you do it. Why are you saying Charles is the champion? Is it because you don't know that he's not? Or are you just trying to give us the ending that you wish was true? You don't feel Charles should have been stripped. You don't think that that was right. He did not lose. As a matter of fact, he won. As a matter of fact, he won in impressive fashion. In what was stated to be a world title fight. I'm like, I would listen to your case. It wouldn't make you right. I would, I would just know where you're coming from. Because I think you're doing it to be polite. I don't think you're doing it because you're stupid. But you might be. I would agree with you all the time. But the, the only thing that would do is make us both wrong. So I'm just curious, why are we pretending Charles is the champion? Then moreover, at least according to Islam, it's more helpful to be the challenger, to be out there to win something, to take something, to bring somebody down. That's at least what he's telling us by making up the fictional story that Charles is the champion. But isn't Charles doing the same thing in reverse? Charles is pretending to be the champion. So in Islam's mind, he's going to fight harder and want more, dig deeper if he's the challenger. And in Charles's mind... He's going to fight harder, dig deeper, if he's protecting something. Two guys doing the same thing at the, way, the same weight class at the exact same time with a very different approach. One is pretending he's the challenger and one is pretending he's the champion. I'm just asking why. There's nobody wrong there. I would always encourage you to put yourself in a different situation, but why stop there? Why doesn't Islam just pretend that Charles is his little sister? Why doesn't he just pretend he's fighting George St. Pierre? Why doesn't he just pretend, maybe he likes to scare himself. He should pretend that he's fighting Francis Ngannou. I just don't understand it. I mean, but I really don't. I really don't. And I'll have pushback. I'll be called a hater. How, Charles is not the champion. Hard stop. Right there. That's also my statement. There's no hate involved. Even if I had an evil pleasure in the fact that he was stripped, it still makes me right. Charles is not the champion. And I like to get ahead of this only because on Monday morning, you're all going to agree with me. If Charles wins this fight come Monday morning, you're going to want him called two-time champion. You're going to want, you're all going to come along this journey with me. I'm just here three days early. If Islam wins the fight, Charles was never that good to start with. He's got eight losses. Some bitch, they're all by submission. And hell, he's even been beat by the scale two or three times. That's the way the story's going to go. That's just the way that these stories do go. I, I wish that we could all get on the same car and we could all drive in the same direction together so that we can enjoy this. And some of you are going to have your nose rubbed in it. That's part of being a fan. I take my pick, you take your pick. We have an argument. Those boys settle, then one of us has to feel like a fool. That's part of being a fan. So Charles is claiming to be champion. Islam is backing up claiming that he's champion. But Charles is telling Islam that once upon a time, he was a very good champion. I mean, right, it's one of these things. Why not just have Batman fight Superman? Why not just do that? I mean, if we're just making things up, 
Why not pretend that they both have a knife? Why not pretend that this is a three-hour contest? Why not pretend that it's at 195 pounds? I mean, what difference does it make at that point? And while I say that, I, I truly don't begrudge it. Like, as a competitor, you have to be very careful what you let into your bubble. You have to be very careful what you believe to be real. Brainwashing is a very real thing. It's just every time you guys hear about it, it's used as a negative. Like some cult is doing it, or somebody has brainwashed you or inundated. You can brainwash yourself, but you can do it for very positive things. You tell yourself through daily affirmations, every I am the best, I am going to win, here's what, whatever it might be, you will then believe it to be true. Those are good things. I don't begrudge them. I'm just wondering how we have two guys in the exact same position that believe the exact opposite thing. Charles wants the world to believe that he's the champion. There's something about that position that is more protective and is more high-handed. There's something about being champ that he likes to the point that he's making it up. But the same thing goes for Islam. Islam sees something with being the contender, with being the challenger that is so valuable, he is creating a fake story that he's taking on the champion. Why? And But what does it mean moving forward? That's why it's important to identify. I couldn't care less. I'm just making an observation of what I saw. I would like to know why. So moving forward, if Islam wins the belt, right? If the best position for Islam is to be the challenger, which is what he's telling us, he's telling us to the fact that he's making up a scenario. Then if he wins the belt, what should we expect of him? And maybe he just does the same thing again. Maybe whoever his next opponent is, let's call it Volkanovski. Now, Volkanovski's the champ. I'm not the champion yet. I mean, maybe it stays consistent, but maybe it doesn't. So maybe we should store this away. And maybe we should wait four months and see if we're getting the same answer. Charles is not the champion. And if you're Team Charles, you don't want him to be the champion if he wins. Because you want him to be a two-time champion. You will get to where I'm at. Now, I'm in a place, right, I'm operating on what used to be when I was born in my entire life until about three years ago. What I am doing is I'm operating on what used to be our societal gold standard. It's known as reality. Reality is no longer the gold standard, at least not in America. It is now emotion. It's not what happened. It's not what's, it's how did it make you feel? That is now our gold standard. So according to popular opinion and the participants himself, Charles is the champion. If Charles wins, he's still the champion. Don't call him a two-time champion. Unless you want to be with me. Unless you want to, if you want to stay in Crazyville, you can't do it. If you want to come along with me and live in reality, the belt is up for grabs. We have two challengers. They still need to make weight. If one of them doesn't, to hell with them, we'll bring in Volkanovski. That is a reality. came out and he said that he would fight Volkanovski, but it's going to be for Volkanovski's belt. Now, I wish he would have given credit to wherever he got that wonderful idea from, but all the same, he had more of a long-term plan. And he just said, I'm going to fight Volkanovski, but here's what we're going to do. Okay, I took a look at the calendar. UFC is going to Brazil. That's where I want to fight Volk. But two weeks later, they're going to Australia. I'll go there. He, it might have been flip-flop. They might go down under first... Go south next. It was only two weeks separated, but he thought that you, they could fight for both belts. One at 145, one at 155. In the span of 14 days, get this whole thing summed up. Okay, great. Now, there's nothing about that that's worth discussing. 
Other than, I do have to give credit to Charles, I can't remember the last time I've ever heard a champion lay out a plan. I truly can't remember the last time <clears throat> that I saw a champion even step forward with a suggestion, let alone two. Now, they quickly go to Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky says, and I quote, well, obviously that makes no sense, but yeah, I'm down if he can pull it off. Now, that's, that's the greatest line Volkanovsky's ever had. There, there is no way to respond to such an absurd idea. Any part of it. There, there's no part of Charles' plan that worked. Not to go into 45 and take it on Volkanovski, not doing it, not that they're going to fight on this continent and then they're going to fight on this continent, not that they're going to go back and forth in weight classes, not that the UFC is going to sanction it, not that anybody's going to allow that to happen or count on the fact that it's happening or have any level of belief that both guys are going to show up on both nights when they're only separated for 14 days. Like there was no part of that that made sense. And that's what Volkanovski said. <laughs> Listen to it again, guys. Listen to it again. Okay. Charles lays out the plan. Now, Charles had never thought about this. This came to Charles in the moment. So he talks about Volkanovsky and getting down to 45. And then as he partway through that, he kind of realizes, well, well, that's not really the direction we're going. So then he offers to put his belt up. Now, he really wants to do it in Brazil, but he sees where that would be an advantage. So he's then going to return the favor. I mean, this thing was just going left, right, and center. And I got to give the media guy that took the time to hear that statement and then go to Volkanovsky and was connected enough that they could get a hold of Volk. I mean, whoever put this out deserves a lot of credit. They did the right thing. You got to go to Volk for a response. Volk simply told the truth. Said, obviously, that makes no sense. I don't think he can pull it off. But if he can, I'm in. It's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful response by Volk. And I also get Volk's perspective. Like, I get where Charles' words were getting away from him, right? He's stressed out. He's cutting weight. Somebody asked him a question. He's got to deal with Islam, but he's got this elephant in the room named Volkanovsky. He's got to deal with the Volkanovsky thing and not with his punches. He's got to do it with his words. And the only thing he has to establish, he doesn't have to convince you guys he can beat Volkanovsky. He just has to convince you, guys, I am not falling for this bluff. As a matter of fact, I accept and I'll double that. Not only will I fight the son bitch, I'll fight him twice. Charles did everything that he needed to do. And Volk continued, because see, that's the problem with Volk, right? That's the problem if you want to detract from Volk. He always tells the truth. Truth's not great for headlines. When I couldn't get a response, I used to go after guys. I'd go after. That's how I got myself up was by grabbing somebody stronger, right? Couldn't get them to respond. Sometimes they'd play along, but sometimes they wouldn't respond. I could always get a response if I lied about him. If I ever told a lie, no matter how small it was, yeah, I actually ran into him in the bar, and here's what he said to me. I, no matter how small it was, there was something about that psychologically where they go, that didn't happen. I had a story one time about I was splitting a cab in Toronto with Ed Soros. I used that as a jumping off point to then go and tell a story. Even Ed would say, hey, man, I've never been in a cab with you. I haven't been to Toronto in two years. Right? They, uh, there's something about it. If you lie, Volk never does. So it's not always great for headlines. But listen to what he said. I mean, how true could this get? He said, obviously, he's used the word obviously. <laughs> obviously is condescending, right? Obvious is not where you, you throw a sandwich at somebody. It's where you take the sandwich and you smash it into their face. So first off, he says, obviously, which was true. Like, that plan is really terrible. There is nobody that's going to sign on for that. 
Nobody. So he starts with the word obviously. He then says it makes no sense, <laughs> which is true. He then says, but if, if he can pull it off, I'm in. So now he's done the same thing back to Charles that Charles did to him, right? Charles is, is just using bravado. Charles did everything right. It's what he needs to do. But at the same time, Volk maintained as well. Sure, Australia, Brazil, 45, 55, two weeks, one week. You get that figured out, tell me, and I'll show up the same as I've done here, right? Like everybody won, everybody did their part. But the biggest winner here might have been me. I mean, it really might have been. I think I appreciated and enjoyed my interpretation. When Volkanovsky speaks, sometimes it's poetry. It really is. This Volk guy, man, he's winning me over in a very, very big way. It's not just talk with him. If it was just talk, him eight weeks removed from a hand surgery would not be in Fight Island 24 hours away from getting on a scale while licensed. The gig is up. And you see that sometimes. Sometimes you don't want to admit it. I mean, look, we're seeing that with Jake Paul. I mean, I'll jump around on topics here, but we're seeing with that Jake Paul. You think this is all an act until he signs to fight Anderson Silva. The gig is now up. You don't play with Anderson Silva. It's just one of these points where when Volkanovsky said this, I was jumping out of my chair. Now, by the time I had seen this, it was already the fourth topic down. This was not headline news. You guys apparently did not enjoy it. This didn't make waves. You should. You should enjoy it. Because everybody's paying attention. Everybody knows what time it is. You got no sand hanging here. Everybody's looking left and right. Everybody's seeing what's going on. Everybody's doing their part, including the media. And whichever media member heard Charles say this and then was able to reach Volk, you did a great job. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the early start time for UFC 280, and I implore you to go over to my YouTube channel Sunday because I'm going to have my immediate reactions available. After that, make sure you're here on Tuesday. And tell that I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.